Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's Tuesday and everyone's awake, so let's get into it. Are we ready to go? Okay. Today on Before Coffee, BA Boots and BBC staff details targeted in Russia-linked cyber attack. U.S. and Chinese officials hold candid talks in Beijing. Ukrainian dam collapse, no immediate risk to Zaporozhia nuclear plant. Fungi stores a third of carbon from fossil fuel emissions and could be essential to reaching net zero, a new study reveals. Austrian Social Democrats announced wrong leader after technical error. And massive sargassum seaweed bloom takes surprising turn. Today on D-Day, June 6th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. so they're just text now. <laughs> Only reading today on oh, Before yeah. Coffee. British okay. Airways, Boots and BBC are investigating the potential theft of personal details of staff after the companies were hit by a cyber attack attributed to a Russia-linked criminal gang. BA confirmed it was one of the companies affected by the hack, which targeted software called Move It, used by Zealous, a payroll provider. A BA as in British Airways, by the way. Uh-huh. We have been informed that w- that we are one of the companies impacted by Zealous's cybersecurity incident, which occurred via one of their third-party suppliers called Move It, said a spokesperson for the airline. An email sent to BA staff told employees that compromised information including names, addresses, national insurance numbers, and banking details, according to the Daily Telegraph, which first reported the breach. BA said the hack had affected staff paid through BA payroll in the UK and Ireland. Man, somebody should have hacked their payroll to give them a billion dollars from the CEO. That would have been great. Anyways. (laughs) Boots said some of our members... Team members' personal details had been affected. The Telegraph reported the staff had been told that the data involved in the attack included names, surnames, employee numbers, dates of birth, email addresses, and the first line of a home address, national insurance, and national insurance numbers. A BBC spokesperson also confirmed that the broadcaster had been affected. The corporation believes the breach does not include staff bank details. Tweet on Sunday, Microsoft's threat intelligence team attributed the attack on MoveIt to a group called the Lace Tempest. What a weird and interesting name. It's said that the group was known for ransomware operations and running an extortion site, carrying data extracted from attacks using a strain of ransomware known as CLOP. Microsoft added the threat actor has used similar vulnerabilities in the past to steal data and exhort victims. Raf Pilling, a director of the threat for research at the U.S. cybersecurity firm SecureWorks, said that the attack was likely have been carried out by affiliate of the cybercriminal gang behind Klopp Ransomware, as well as the related website referred to by Microsoft, where stolen data is advertised. Pilling said the entity behind Klopp was a Russian-speaking cybercrime group. 
Pilling added the victims of the hack should expect to be contacted and asked for money for the return of any stolen data. Victims will be contacted and if they refuse, they will probably be listed and published on the Clop site. I mean, they could still be listed even after they get their money. They're the ones with the data, so you can't stop them. Spokesperson for MoveIt, which has developed, was developed by the US firm Progress Software, said it had corrected the vulnerability exploited by the hackers. We are continuing to work with the industry-leading cybersecurity experts to investigate the issue and ensure we take all appropriate response measures, they said. This was an article by Dan Milmo at the, Glo- the Global Technology Editor at The Guardian. I guess it's my story then. Yep. Enough of these hackers already. Jeez, what a bunch of dumbasses. What do they think, huh? We're all just here to be stupid little victims. Okay. All right. U.S. and Chinese officials hold candid talks in Beijing. Mid-level talks in Beijing. Mark continued diplomacy, diplomacy, which is no word, despite rising tensions and competitive talks in the U.S. U.S. and officials, this is from Al Jazeera. Washington, D.C. Officials from the United States had candid and productive discussions with Chinese diplomats in Beijing, the U.S. Department of State said, amid rising de- tensions between the two countries. Daniel Kittenbrink, Assistant U.S. Secretary of State for Asian and Pacific Affairs, and Sarah Brand, National Security Senior Director for China, met with Chinese officials Maha Zah. Zaxao and Yang Tao on Monday. The mid-level talks, which mark continuing diplomacy between the two countries despite intensifying competition, come two days after the U.S. military accused China of unsafe maneuvers during a U.S. military near a U.S. military ship in the Taiwan Strait. The two sides had candid and productive discussions as part of an ongoing effort to maintain open lines of communication to build on recent high-level diplomacy between the two countries. Kittenbrink's visit also followed the apparent snub last week after BJ, Beijing declined a request for a formal meeting between Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Chinese counterpart Li Shangfu on the sidelines of security summit in Singapore. The talks also follow a visit by Central Intelligence AG Director William Burns to China last month, which confirmed by several media outlets last year. The State Department said the two sides exchanged views and bilateral relationship on their bilateral relationship. Their channels of communications and other issues on Monday, adding that the American officials made it clear that Washington would stand up for U.S. interests and values. In a statement released on Tuesday, the Chinese foreign minister said the two sides conducted candid, constructive, and fruitful communications on promoting the improvement of Sino-U.S. relations and properly managing and controlling differences. Communications would remain open, the ministry said. The maritime incident days earlier had underscored the tensions between the two countries. The U.S. military's Indo-Pacific Command said on Saturday that a Chinese ship came close to the American destroyer USS Chung-Hoon, causing it to slow down and avoid a collision in a violation of the right to safe passage in international waters. On Monday, the Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Wenbin rejected the U.S. version of events, accusing the U.S. American destroyer of making prov- provocations first. 
Well, actually, it's on film, but I guess they can doctor the film. The actions taken in the Chinese military are completely justified. Law is safe and professional. It is the U.S. that should reflect on its correct then on and correct its wrongdoing, Wang said. Last week, the U.S. also said a Chinese jet performed an unnecessarily aggressive maneuvers near an American aircraft over the South China Sea. On Monday, White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby said the two incidents are part of an increasing level of aggressiveness by the Chinese military, warning that such maneuvers can lead to misunderstandings and miscalculations. When you have pieces of metal that size, whether it's in the air or on the sea, they're operating close together, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take much of an error of judgment or a mistake to get made and somebody can get hurt, and that's just going to be unacceptable. Ties between Beijing and Washington have soured in recent years over numerous issues, including trade rules, the status of Taiwan, China's claims in the South China Sea, and an ongoing U.S. push against growing Chinese influence in the Asia Pacific. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken canceled his visit to, China, visit to China in February after U.S. authorities shot down what they said was a Chinese spy balloon that had traversed the country. Beijing insisted that the aircraft is a weather balloon that had drifted off course. Both U.S. and Chinese officials say they are not seeking con confrontations or a new Cold War. In May, U.S. President Joe Biden predicted a thaw that would happen very shortly between the two countries. So here we are waiting for the thaw as China provokes us with silliness. Your story. Okay, well, we did talk about the stories, actually, as they happened. Ukraine dam collapse. No immediate risk to Zaporozhia nuclear plant. The collapse of the Nova Kakhovka dam and the draining of the reservoir behind it does not pose an immediate th safety threat to the nuclear power plant further upstream, but will have long-term implications for its future, according to Ukrainian and UN experts. The Ukrainian Nuclear Energy Corporation... Energoatom? Energo Energoatom? It's one word. Ugh, Put out a right. statement on the Telegram social media platform saying the situation in the plant, the biggest nuclear power station in Europe, was under control. Rafael Mariana Grossi, the Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, the UN's nuclear watchdog, said in the statement, Our current assessment is that there is no immediate risk to the safety of the plant. But there are long-term concerns, both over safety and the possibility of the plant becoming operational again in the coming years. Oleksi, a former reactor operator and shift supervisor of the plant, pointed out that all the six reactors had been shut down since the plant found itself at the front line of a Russian invasion. Five of the reactors are in cold shutdown, turned off completely and being cooled, and one is in a hot shutdown, kept at 200 and 250 C, Celsius, so it will be easier to restart if conditions allow. The supply of winter heating to the neighboring town of Eno they named they named a town Energigodar. Wow. Okay. Oleksi who left after the Russian forces occupied the plant in March last year and is now elsewhere in Ukraine, said the last reactor should be shut down and the plant has sufficient resources to keep all reactors core cool. I think that the damage of the dam doesn't impact the plant immediately because they are, they are being cooled by the safety systems located at the plant, which are a spray system. The plant is also also has a cooling lake, about 2 or 3 kilometer, kilometers in diameter. 
The Energo Atom statement said that the cooling lake was filled and was at 16.6 meters, 54.5 feet, which is sufficient for the power plant's needs. Mariana Budjerian, a Ukrainian nu nuclear scientist, said, The fact that there is an artificial pond next to the ZNPP, where water can be maintained above the reservoir level, and the fact that there... Wait, what happened? Oh. And the fact that the reactors are in cold shutdown after some reinsurance and increased time to respond if the ZNPP starts getting affected. But Budjeran, who is a senior research associate on the project on the Managing the Atom in the Harvard University, said, The bigger problems, who is going to do it? ZNPP is already downstaffed to the bare bones. Oleksii said that over time, water would evaporate from the cooling lake if it could not be filled from the vast reservoir created upstream of the Nova Kakova Dam. The turbines in the power plant could not be operated. In the statement, Grossi said that the cooling pond should last for some months, but it was imperative it was not damaged in the fighting. The water is used to cool not just the reactor cores, but also the spent fuel and the diesel generators used for safety systems. Absence of cooling water is in the essential cooling water system for an extended period of time would cause fuel melt in operability of the emergency diesel generators, he warned. Bujirin pointed out to another implication of the dam collapse regarding the future of the Russian-occupied nuclear plant, which Russian occupying forces have allegedly mined. If the Russians would do this with Kokhovka, there's no guarantee they won't blow up the reactor units at ZNPP that are also reportedly mined. Three or of the six, he said. It wouldn't cause a Chernobyl, Chernobyl but massive disruption, local contamination, and long-term damage to Ukraine. So... I'm not sure how you repair a mine, uh, I mean a dam that's been broken up while water's rushing through it. Maybe you can't. Maybe you have to create a temporary seal you have on to both sides. The water. Yeah, and then you can repair it. So hopefully they can do something. Uh, otherwise, we'll see how this story progresses because I'm sure there'll be more news about the nuclear power plant and the dam. Damn. This was a story from Julian Borger in Kiev. And you're supposed to say at the conclusion, there's your damn news. There's your damn news. <laughs> All right. All right, so a little humor out of the way. Back to science. Fungi stores a third of... This is, this is hopefully going to help our environment. This is some... P-Y... P-H-Y-S. How do you, how do you say that? P-Y... P-H-Y-S dot org slash news. Fizz? Fizz.org? Fizz.org? Oh, yeah, about like physics, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, okay. Fungi stores a third of carbon from fossil fuel emissions and could be essential to reaching net zero, study says. So let's get to the text of that story instead of looking at the pictures. This is by Cell Press. That's that person's name, I guess. Cell Press. My core... Hizal. Microhizal fungi have been supporting life on land for at least 450 million years by helping to supply plants with soil nutrients essential for growth. Essential for growth. In recent years, scientists have found that in addition to forming symbiotic relationships with nearly all land plants, these fungi are important conduits to transport carbon into cell soil ecosystems. 
In a meta-analysis published on June 5th in the Journal of Current Biology, scientists estimate that as much as 13.1 gigatons of carbon dioxide equivalents, CO2e, fixed by ter terrestrial plants is allocated to mycorrhizal fungi annually. Mycorrhizal, mycorrhizal, I'm going to say that a lot now. Mycorrhizal fungi annually, roughly equivalent to 36% of yearly global fossil fuel emissions because 70 to 90% of land plants from form symbiotic relationship with this fungi. Researchers have long surmised that there must be a large amount of carbon moving into the soil through their networks. We always suspected that we may have been overlooking a major carbon pool, says author Heidi Hawkins research lead at Conservation South Africa and research associate on the plant-soil microbe interactions at the University of Cape Town. Understandably, much focus has been placed on protecting and restoring forests as a natural way to mitigate climate change. But little attention has been paid to the fate of the vast amount of carbon dioxide that are moved from the atmosphere during photosynthesis by those plants and sent below ground to Mycorrhizal fungi, mycorrhizal fungi transfer mineral nutrients to and obtain carbon from their plant partners. These bi-directional exchanges are made possible by associations between fungal mycelium and thread-like flamatose networks that make up the bulk of fungi biomass and plant roots. Once transported underground, carbon is used by my mycorrhizal fungi to grow a more extensive mycelium, mycelium helping them to explore the soil. It is also bound up in the soil by the st sticky compounds ex exuded by the fungi and can be and can remain underground in the form of fungal necromass which functions as a structural scaffold for soil. Scientists know that the carbon is flowing through the fungi but how long it stays there remains unclear. A major gap in our knowledge is the permanence, is the permanence of carbon within mycorrhizal structures. We do, we know that it is a flux with some being retained by mycorrhizal structures while the fungus lives and even after it dies, says Hawkins. Some of the, some will be decomposed into small carbon molecules and from there either bind to particles in the soil or even be reused by plants. And certainly some of the carbon will be lost as carbon dioxide gas during respiration by the microbes of the fungus itself. The paper is part of a global push to understand the role that fungi play in Earth's ecosystems. We know that mycorrhizal fungi are virtually important ecosystem engineers, but they are invisible, says senior author Toby Kears, a professional evolutionary bi a professor of evolutionary biology at Varijer Amsterdam at Varij. University of Amsterdam and co-founder of it's free university literally means free I, university yeah free free, yeah, free, free. university got it and co-founder of Society of Protection of Underground Networks SPUN that's a acronym SPUN SPUNGE Microsinol 
mycorrhizal fungi lie at the base of the food webs that support much of the life on Earth, and we're starting to understand how each actually work. There's still so much to learn. But there's this race against time to understand and protect these fungi. The UN Food and Agriculture Organization warns that 90% of soils could be degraded by 2050, and fungi are left out most and fungi are left out of most conservation and environmental policy. Without the fertility structure that soil provides, the productivity of both natural and crop plants will rapidly decline. Mycorrhizal fun fungi represent a blind spot in carbon modeling, conservation, and restoration, says co-author Katie Field, a professor of plant soil process in the University of Sheffield. Soil ecosystems are being destroyed by an alarming rate through agriculture, development, and other industry, but the wider impacts of distribution, damn, the wider impacts of disruption of soil communities are poorly understood. We are, when we disrupt the ancient life support systems in the soil, we sabotage our efforts to limit global, limit global heating and undermine the health and resilience of the ecosystems on which we depend. Many human activities destroy underground ecosystems. Besides limiting the destruction, we need to radically increase the rate of research, says co-author Martin Sheldrake. Organizations like SPUN, the Fungi, for, for the Fungi Foundation, want to join them, and the Global Fungi are leading a massive global sampling effort to create open source maps of Earth's fungal networks. These maps will help chart the properties of underground ecosystems such as carbon sequestration, hotspots, document, and document new fungal species able to withstand drought and high temperatures. The researchers emphasize that while the figures are based on best available evidence, they are imperfect and should be interpreted with caution. Although our numbers are only estimates, they are the best we can we are able to make with the data available. The limitations of our study make clear the urgent need for further empirical study of carbon and nutrient fluxes between plants and mycorrhizal mycorrhizal fungi. So your story, we have so mycorrhizal much to learn about fungi. fungi. We yeah. never appreciate the fungus among us. Yeah, your mushrooms okay i love eating mushrooms so i appreciate them for their this tasty. is invisible they're tasty this is invisible and not tasty and it eats the carbon for you mm, so delicious. there you go i mean mm. they're the what is it the fifth thing in the animal kingdom right you've got animals you got plants you got fungi they're not animals or plants they're their own thing Yep, and they move in mysterious ways <laughs> with spores um oh yeah and Embarrassing government news. Austrian Social Democrats party has admitted a technical error in an Excel file led to it announcing the wrong candidate as its new leader. Officials at the center of left SPO said on Monday that Andreas Balber, the mayor of the southeastern city of Treskirchen, had in fact won the race. And not Hans-Peter Doskozel, the governor of the southeastern Bergenland region, who had been declared the winner on Saturday. The ballots didn't match the digitally announced result, said the SBO's elector electoral commissioner, Michaela Grubesa. Because of a technical error in the Excel file, the results were mixed up. 
The mistakes had come to light only because a journalist had spotted a missing vote in the final result and raised the matter with the party's electoral commission, prompting a recount, Austrian media reported. The astonishing events come a year after before parliamentary elections expect to be happening in the Alpine Republic, which is currently governed by a coalition between the Conservative People's Party, OVP, and the Greens, vying to replace the outgoing centrist leader Pamela Rendy Wagner, Bobler, a 50-year-old former warehouse laborer, self-declared Marxist and longtime Eurosceptic, vowed to return Austria's Social Democrats to their left-wing roots. In an inner party debate that focused less on the policies than whether the center-left should wear its values on its sleeve, 52-year-old Dos Kozo stood for a more right-wing position on issues such as immigration, promising to bring back voters who had switched to the far-right Freedom Party, FPO. Latest polls show that FPO is in the lead with the Social Democrats in either second or third place at around 21-24%. to 24%. Babler, a former member of his party, Marxist-Lenist Stamokop, Wing drew fire in the run-up to the party's congress for a two-year-old video in which he was described the EU as the most aggressive foreign policy alliance that ever existed, and worse than NATO. He described the EU as an imperialist project with a few social standards. Confronted with the comments he had made during the COVID-19 pandemic, Babler said he did not advocate an Austrian exit from the bloc of nations, but was in favor of a socially-minded reform of European treaties. He told the Austrian media in one interview, I am a Marxist, but said in a follow-up interview that he did not stand for concepts such as exportations and dictatorship of the proletariat. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, Marxist does not want a dictatorship of the proletariat. Compared with the German sister party, Austria SPO is a relatively broad political church, which hasn't faced a significant challenge to, so it's left, to its left since the 1950s. The Austrian Communist Party, strong showing at the Salzburg state elections in April, however, has received plenty of attention in the party. Babbler's victory increases the likelihood of a coalition between the OVP and the FPO after next year's vote, said Marcus Howe, a political consultant at the Vienna-based risk advisory firm VE Insight. Austria's political landscape is structurally right-leaning, which means that even if Babbler could steal votes from the Greens and NEOS, it's hard to see how it will pull together a governing coalition. Unlike Dozkozil, Babbler is ruled out forming a grand coalition with Austria's conservatives. The party's new leader said on money the mistake in the counting process had been painful for all those involved and that he wanted to work on the complete comeback of the SPO. This was an article from Philip Oltermann in Berlin. Sweet. And in creeping slime news, this is from WGN in Chicago, the sarcasm, the thing that is creeping close to Florida, takes a surprising turn. This is from a story by Alex Martichol. I think that's the French pronunciation. Our French pronunciations. C H O U X Chol. No, Martichol. For the past few months, scientists have been sounding an alarm about a 5,000-mile-long belt of seaweed that is threatening to wreak havoc on Florida and Caribbean beaches. 
The bloom of sarcasm, a type of seaweed that smells like rotten eggs when it washes ashore and can cause breathing issues, reached record size in March, an estimated 13 million tons. University of South Florida researchers said, but something unexpected has happened, the team said. Last week, the mass shrank. The quantity of seaweed found in the Great Atlantic Sarcasm Belt, GASB, which, has, which stretches from the western coast of Africa into the Gulf of Mexico, shrank by 15% between April and May, according to the team of researchers that monitors the sarcasm's growth and movement. Such a decrease for this time of year never occurred in the history since the first year of the GASB, they wrote. The biggest reductions in seaweed mass happened from the U.S. beaches all the way up to the eastern Atlantic Ocean. Closer to home, sarcasm quantities actually went up in the western Atlantic and in the Gulf. What does this mean? For the beaches already inundated with seaweed, the future is murky in most places, the researchers admit. But there's some hope for Florida. In the Gulf of Mexico, sarcasm quantity is likely to decrease in June, which should be good news for the residents along the Florida Keys and east coast of Florida, the USFS researchers said. Still, they expected the problem of seaweed to be present in substantial amounts through June before decreasing later this summer. Since 2011, the seaweed's geographic area has massively expanded. In normal quantities, sarcasm can cause can contribute to healthy e ecosystem, ocean ecosystem. The problems start when it becomes, when it comes on land and starts to rot. It decays, as as it decays, sarcasm lets off a hydrogen sulfide and smells like rotten eggs. Explains the Florida Department of Health. It can irritate people's eyes, nose, throat, trigger breathing issues for people with asthma. The Department of Health recommends beachgoers avoid touching or swimming near the seaweed. The creatures that live inside it, like jellyfish, larvae, could sting and cause your skin to itch. The department also suggests using gloves to have, if you have to handle sarcasm, and closing windows if you live near the beach, which is pretty obvious because it smells bad. Of course, we did cover the flesh-eating bacteria that lives in it, and so that's always good fun. Your story... The short right. but sweet story of the big slimy mess. Your story. In uh, Rotterdam news, which is a city in the Netherlands, there's a new statue of a woman, and it turns out to be an iconic attraction. The recently played Moments Contained statue in front of Rotterdam Central attracts a lot of attention. The four-meter-high bronze statue of a woman of color can count on the approval of many Rotterdammers. Sees, says regional broadcaster Ryan Mond. At the unveiling of the statue last Friday, Mayor Ahmed Abu Taleb predicted that it will be the most photographed place in Rotterdam. And today, dozens of people took a picture with the statue by artist Thomas J. Price. According to the regional broadcaster, it is sometimes so busy at the image that people have to wait a while. Wow. Iconic, just like gnome, the gnome butt plug. I think it's a beautiful <laughs> statue. And what it stands for, she is proud and determined, says a passerby who takes a picture of the statue. If you compare it to other statues in the city, this is really unique. In such a central place, and it's a woman. It's uh, uh, for people who can't see the image, which is most likely everyone. It's the picture of a, uh, a black woman with like a top, uh, like a head bun. And she's wearing like sweatpants. She kind of looks like she could be a boxer, you know? But she's also like... 
What did what they say? Like eight feet tall? She's yeah. it's a huge statue. Yeah, and she just stands there with small. her hands in her pockets, looking like uh, she she'll punch you in the mouth. Really, honestly. <laughs> Everybody she does goes not take any shit, okay? Uh, uh -huh. A man filming the statue calls the work iconic. I captured the image because it is an example of a Rotterdam person, I think. It's like the image of Kabutur, the Kabutur, <laughs> the Kabouter, sorry. It's, it's Dutch. The Kabouter butt plug. These are iconic images. A German-speaking woman says she was inspired by the image. She stands in a stark contrast to the modern architecture. Uh, uh, for those who don't know, Rotterdam is like the New York of the Netherlands, you know, very frank, straight to the point people, have their own slang, all that kind of stuff. Mm. It's the second largest city in the Netherlands, uh, famously got carpet bombed during World War II, and they had to rebuild the whole city, so. One of the biggest ports in Europe. Yep. There you go. Yet there no, is no. also criticism of the image. For example, NRC columnist Roseanne Hertzberger wondered why a normal woman gets a statue. She calls the statue for everyone an insult to people who do heroic deeds. Well, maybe she did do something heroic. She was a yeah. black woman. Yeah. Pretty fucking heroic. You she make a list of all the hair. of the black women who are heroic. There's a it's a big list, okay? And they all deserve a statue. And make up a story like we did for Paul Bunyan. Yeah, exactly. Yet, this work is a product of a social movement, which is, it is enough to be a marginalized party to gain sympathy, she complains. Just being a woman, wow. having a disability, wearing a headscarf, having dark skin color, preferably a combination of these, enough to shield to be raised. And especially in There's the culture sector, she writes in her column, which caused a stir because she's complaining about nothing. Uh, group chairman of 50 plus in Rotterdam, which is a party for people who are 50 plus, Ellen Verkula would have preferred to see that image in the port or seen a statue representing the port, like what, build a ship statue? There's also criticism of the name Moments Contained. That could have been a bit more Rotterdam, says bystanders. A nickname oh, for her boy. should come soon, as Ron Rotterdammers often do. She's going to be called the tall black lady. I don't know. Uh, the statue was created in 2022 by British artist Thomas J. Price. Other sculptures by him are in London and New York. This 42-year-old Londoner with a Caribbean roots is known for his immense bronze sculptures of black men and women, who himself calls every man and every woman. They are not specific people, but images composed of the faces of several people. The artwork is the starting point of the sculpture route through Rotterdam, which continues via the sculpture's terrace at Wester Single to Rotterdam South. So if you ever find yourself in Rotterdam, make sure to stop by the giant woman and then also see the other statues on the route through the statue statue route. That's what it's called. Uh, right. This was well, an article from NOS. What? Maybe the butt plug thing might be interesting too because I'm not sure what that is. I haven't seen uh, Have I seen that? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I probably have. Uh, let me... The Kabouter butt I've plug. Seen well, we don't. Have to, we could cover it some other time, but it was it was referenced, and I'm like, what? The Kabouter butt plug, literally the butt plug gnome, or the brownie butt plug, named for the resemblance of the statue's Christmas tree bears to a sex toy. Okay, so it's a gnome holding a Christmas tree, What's but because it's a bronze statue, you can't really make Christmas oh, tree uh, things, right? 
So you know you you've seen those Christmas trees where they're just kind of like flat, right? There's no bristles. Yeah. It's just like a mm. triangle. But instead of going for triangle, they went for like like multiple round it sections, up being, which looks a lot up. like a butt plug. Hence why and it's called the name. The name stuck, which is interesting. Yes. So the name stuck, and that's why they're hoping that there's going to be a funny name for this statue, I guess. Though there's nothing funny about it. It's just a, bla- a really tall black woman wearing sweatpants. So Something for all them sculptors out there. When yeah. you finish, look right. at it. In this day in yeah. history now. This day in history. Yeah, we're, we're wasting a lot of time. This day in history. It's June 6th, so a very famous day. But uh, we'll go back to the... We'll go to the bottom. 16, we're going in order, chronological. That's always, I always start at the bottom because the other stuff's there. 1622, on this day, Pope Gregory XV created the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith for the Organization and Direction of the Missions of the Roman Catholic Church to the non Christian world. So, yeah, let's force this crap on other people. Uh,. 1844, George Williams originated the Young Men's Christian Association. The Y... Never mind. (laughs) 1892, Chicago's elevated loop train, commonly known as the L, began operating and became one of the longest and busiest managed transit systems in the United States. 1925, the automatic and automobile manufacturer Chrysler Corporation was incorporated with William P. Chrysler as president. In 1934, the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, was established, which is a U.S. agency. 1956, Swedish tennis player Bjorn Borg considered one of the sport's greatest competitors, was born. 1982, skipping ahead, Israel invaded Lebanon and subsequently defeated the Palestine Liberation Organization, the Syrian Armed Forces, and assorted leftist Lebanese groups. Israel is always beating people in wars. 1998, the American TV show Sex and the City, starring Sarah Jessica Parker, began airing on HBO. And it became one of the most influential TV series if you had HBO. 2004, for her performance in Raisin in the Sun, Felicia Rashad became the first African-American to win the Tony Award for Best Actress. Famously, Bill Cosby's wife on TV. 2015, American Pharaoh run the won the Belmont Stakes, becoming the first thoroughbred in more than 35 years to capture horse racing's triple crown. And of course, the big day, birthdays today, well, we can do birthdays in a minute. The big day today was the Normandy invasion began on June 6, 1944, led by U.S. General Dwight D. Eisenhower and the Allied Armada of ships, planes, and landing craft, and some 156,000 troops began the invasion of northern France from England on this day, famously called D-Day. Yep. And birthdays today, uh, Diego Velasquez, Spanish painter, does not say the year he was born. How do they know this is his birthday then? (laughs) Okay. 1967. Well, he died in, 19, in 1660, so subtract uh, 60 years. That's his birthday. Okay. Paul Giamatti, American actor, was born this day in 1956. 
Sukarno, president of Indonesia, was born in 1901. I don't think he's around anymore. Former president, I would imagine. Thomas Mann, German author, was born in 1875. And Alexandra, the empress and consort of Russia, was born in 1872. And what day is it today? Did you ask? You may not have asked, but I'm going to tell you anyway. National Higher Education Today Day today. It is World Pest Day, so it's I'm a pest, so yeah, I'm unhappy today. I'm very I'm gonna be out there bothering people. It's National Applesauce Cake Day. It's always some kind of food. National Eyewear Day. Wow. National Eyewear Day. National Drive-In Movie. So wear your eyewear. Go to the drive-in movie. National Day of Sweden. So, let's celebrate Sweden today. They get a uh, national day? Huh, yeah, well, nice. national day in, I guess it's in our country, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I Everyone learn where Sweden shirt. is on the map, you dumb Americans. <laughs> that big place next to Norway where you can never know which one's which, right? Yeah. <laughs> which one's Norway, which one's Sweden? It's like Vermont and New Hampshire in this country. You look at the map and they're like, they're, uh, which one's They're different which? sizes and they look different, but okay. Yeah, it's true. Uh, National Gardening Exercise Day, which gardening is exercise, but not necessarily the best exercise. It's D-Day, of course. National Yo-Yo Day. That's important to know. And the final thing it is, is Russian Language Day. So I don't know, learn something or You know anything in Russian? I know yet. I know, here's what I'll do. I'll say, Comprehensive news of the planet in Russian. Besotronye Novoste Planete Zemla. That's Russian for Comprehensive News of the Planet. Here's your story. We're done. That's the end of the Before Coffee here on Tuesday. And we will be uh, back on Wednesday to the scuffs. You know, I, I'm sure there'll be more news about the dam. So we'll probably discuss more about the Ukrainian dam collapse and right. how that's affecting people's water supply and a nuclear power plant. Yep. And Roger here discussing slimy fungus and Chinese relations and learning Russia so I can be repatriated to Moscow someday. <laughs> Today, on June 6, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. The comprehensive news of the world. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels: Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.